With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is like the theme song to our most favorite show in the world, Beverly Hills. Okay. You're Jason, I'm Luke. Okay, so you do it to me. Hey there, Beverly Hills 90210 fans. It's now time to dive deep into an episode-by-episode, character-by-character, song-by-song account of the making of your favorite zip code with your host, Charles Rosen. I sit in the chair. It's one of Sandy's antiques. The whole thing breaks. Larry Mullen. He's not, shouldn't be even in this show. I hope they're going to kill him, and they did. Pete Ferrero. Up my like TV crush is Claire Arnold. So, I mean, she has to come on the show at this and point. And representing the fans, Lily Amaran. And I love you. I have dreamt about you. What? I'm... Along with many special guests. And your questions. So sit back and relax, because it's like totally time for the Beverly Hills 90210 show. <laughs> Hey, hey, here we are this week on the Beverly Hills 90210 show podcast, hey, or videocast. Um, listen, those were a couple of fans, Chuck, that submitted a video to us uh, <laughs> from way back in the day of them uh, emulating the the uh, intro of the show. That was kind of cool, right? <laughs> I, 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 I could try, yeah. I loved it. Uh, we got a full house here this week. Um, I'm going to start with our usual su- suspect and Chuck Rosen. Chuck, how is everything going uh, on your end? Good, because we live in Southern California, not Northern California. It's really hot here, but California's burning again. It's summer and uh, it's, horrible. It is hot for sure. And uh, Larry Mullen, I got to see you and Chuck this weekend. That was a lot of fun for my it birthday. Was, it Thank was a guys. lot of fun. Yeah, it was very uh, good. Including me. How's everything going since then? You know, I have to just do one thing. Indulge me, please. My son, Johnny, got engaged to uh, Stephanie. Uh, and and uh, so that was the mazel tough. And then I got a proof of my second novel, Kyoga, which is Kyoga, which is coming out soon at LarryMullen.com. And uh, so it was a good week. And I got to see these Dan Adius episodes, which two of them I had never seen. And it just, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know how I actually joined the show without seeing these episodes. Thank you, Chuck. But uh, I somehow did, and it was just great re-looking at them because I could really see in context how, how the thing was growing, and uh, and I really enjoyed uh, watching Dan's work, and we'll get into that. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. And by the way, guys, that was Kristen Mac Isaac, I guess that's how you say it. That was her in the hat in the intro. So thank oh, you for, for sharing that. Thank you. Me. Karen Rosen, um, how's everything going on your end? Well, good. Very good. Thank you. I'm, I'm in the same house with Charles. Also, <laughs> keeping a little cooler at the beach than the rest of L.A., but we're doing very well. And then we have Jessica Klein back. Everybody is so excited when you're here, Jessica. So it's uh, Thank it's you awesome. so much. That's so nice of you. I think you're going to be with us even some more next week, I think. Right? That's, what I, that's what I hear. You've been kind enough to invite me back, and it's really yes. fun for me to relive these great moments of my past. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing all these shows that I... Didn't remember, but <laughs> <laughs> only 30 years ago. 
Yeah. And then a little surprise for everybody. Carol Potter is back with us. Hello. I don't feel like I'm the host of Hollywood Squares here. I was thinking. I know. <laughs> Peter Marshall. It's pretty close. Uh, how's everything going on your end, uh, Carol? Oh, it's been a busy week. I'm also I'm finishing up a book. We're doing the copy editing editing now. So, um, and it's going to be published in January by the APA. It's called "When Your Child Has a Chronic Medical Illness: A Guide for the Parenting Journey." And I've been working with a uh, psychologist in New Jersey. It's been an amazing process and i'm just i'm really excited about it hey uh, you know carol we uh, chuck and i interviewed um the actor that played josh richland who is uh <laughs> Joshua Beckett, and he said that you both are uh you know you're you're connected through your your new world is he on the la pomo listserv <laughs> <laughs> on the la pomo listserv um uh, postmodern approaches to therapy um is is kind of my passion and so uh, there's a whole bunch of us on a big old listserv um, giving each other referrals and stuff like that. I don't, I'm not really taking new clients anymore. Right. I'm just trying to. ask you a question, Carol. Were you, inspired, were you inspired to be do what you do after working with the cast all these years? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would make a great sort of like sociological study, right? If somebody had followed that cast through the five years that I was on the show and the effects of fame and the different effects on the men and on the women and how they sort of got into this very giddy place. And then I just remember coming back the fifth, uh, the fifth season and it like everybody had their feet on the ground it was somehow, somehow they sort of they'd gone through it and then they realized oh wait a minute i have to i have to do this yeah <laughs> doing this so this is was important it was really remarkable i suspect it was that jason started the role because he started directing mm-hmm. and when he came back as an actor after having directed an episode he was a completely different guy. He was the first one on the set after a break. He, he was just jumping on everything because he, he saw from the other side right. how chaos is is created when people are not, when the actors are not, you know, ready to go. But yeah. he was always, he was, he was not one of the problematic uh no. Um, lay people at all. He was pretty, he was very professional, what I observed. Yeah. yeah. But it would just jumped into a whole different level. No, before he was looking through the DP's lens and, and, and just seeing things for fun, but then he, he got, he did get a more professional approach. And I have to say hello to Anybody you. knows the difference in this cast between the first season and the fifth season, it's our guest who you're going to now introduce. Yes. Well, first, I'm going to say hello to Lily, who's representing the fans, hello. right? Uh, <laughs> Hi, nice everyone. Hi, Lily. Just in a, you know, an aside, Lily, so sorry about what had happened last week with you with the whole Wi-Fi oh. debacle. You're dealing with a lot with the with the storm and all that, and you missed out on some of Jason. But are you okay yeah. now? Is the, everything's okay? We seem to be okay now, but would you believe that... Uh, so we had that the remnants of Hurricane Isaias lost power for eight days, and then we lost power again uh, 10 days later overnight after there was another powerful storm that came through overnight. So it's just been a little crazy weather yeah. here lately. Well, we've missed you. So it's good, nice to have you back here. And then now, of course, uh, Dan Adias, director. I mean, Dan, you've done so much great work, obviously not just on this show, 
90210. I know you directed a couple episodes of Lost that I'm like in love with. So uh, <laughs> your uh, your you know your bio, man, you've just done so much stuff. So thank you for taking the time in uh, and coming here with us. How's everything going in in your world? Oh, it's it's going uh, much like probably most of your your world is going. Uh, it's, it's not like I had to make a, jump through a lot of hoops to make time to. to <laughs> But I would have had I had I had there been hoops to jump through, I would have because I'm really uh, delighted to be here. And uh, I just want to say at the outset, you know, when Chuck first called, he said there'd be two episodes we'd look at. And uh, I lamented, well, I have a lot that I those are nice, but what what and one I mentioned, Jessica was leading from the heart, which was one of my favorites also. But I looked at five episodes, which was got, got you sent me, Peter, and. Yep. Uh, it was so nice and I got so nostalgic and so appreciative of what the show was. And uh, it was, it was really, a, it has been a really lovely experience kind of revisiting that and thinking about the shows and, and the spirit of the, of the time and the innocence of so many of us and, and the actors, you know, because it started in season one. I was, uh, Carol, I like you was also season one to five. And uh, so I'm I'm really delighted to be here. That's awesome. Hey, Chuck and I got to do, before we jump into this episode, Chuck and I did a, for my birthday, which was so nice of you. And thank you for all the birthday wishes here in the chat. I appreciate that. Uh, we did a episode about locations and Chuck, you asked a trivia question and you're saying Ricky Moss uh, got that trivia question right on Facebook, right? Do you want to talk about that real quick? Right, the, the, uh, the question was what, uh, what location in Beverly in the high school years in Beverly Hills did we shoot at twice? We only shot three times in Beverly Hills. That was that location, and then in front of the hotel where Dylan smashes the, the plant and uh, chases after uh, Brenda when Karen was so ready to give birth. Watching it, and uh, and the other was Roxbury Park where uh, I imagine Dan Addius probably got a few base hits at some point. Uh, <laughs> we were the American League, a little league, but I think you played there, right? Right. Let's see, White Sox or Tigers? Chuck and I were both, uh, are both alumni of Beverly Hills High School. So uh, it was really, uh, it was really fun to kind of recreate it, even though, uh, not to jump ahead, but it was kind of yeah. fun that uh, I think Chuck and I, we were both thinking of a, the Beverly High that existed in you know the, the late '60s, not the ones that, one that probably existed around the time we made the show, but such is life. Exactly, but you know, um, you know, it just it, to say that you know here, but we did have right at the end in in um, the high school years, we did have the uh, you know approaching the board of uh, of education, and one of the peripheral issues was a dress code. And, uh, <laughs> You know, we got to, the girls got to, you know, uh, come to school and, uh, and cut yeah. off and, and everything because you went front of the board. And, uh, Chuck, you have, a memory. you have a memory. That's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> the young people watching uh, this. For Ricky, Moss, for Ricky Moss, who got that question right on Facebook, just email me, Peter at Beverly Hills now show.com, and we'll find a spot for you to kind of pop in here with us one day because that's what uh, the prize was. Um, okay, let's let's jump into this week's episode. We have some promos and stuff we're going to play through the episode, but Chuck, um, you and Dan go way back, right? Yeah, 
payback. We we could be talking about kickball. We could be talking about little league. We could be talking about high school politics. Um, even even Cal Berkeley. We walked the same uh, same. Uh, Sproul Plaza before you transfer back to UCLA. Where um, I went. Oh. And um, Dan decided not to become Clarence Darrow, but to become uh, a, a prize director and go to film school. And uh, we had that in common too, because I was also groomed to be a lawyer. Yeah. So um, we did go real back. And and so when when we got the original order, the one of the first people I sought out was Dan, because I knew that he had been doing some things. He had done a feature film. He had done a uh, be an assistant director on for Steven Spielberg. He 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 was someone with already a resume that that was was very impressive, and and he was not available. <laughs> and I you were doing the wrestling you were doing some wrestling show I think it was for uh, Gary Levy for ABC, and I had we had to wait and it was <laughs> worthwhile to wait. Because Dan comes in, in the first episode, we're going to be talking about fans is general art of listening. And you have to realize that at that moment, the show was in chaos, mm. just like what we got around in, in Washington right now, but not malicious. We, we had done the first um, six episodes, and they were kind of a block, and we got them through, and they were they, we did them, and the result of that was that we fired the line producer, who was my closest friend, another Beverly Hills alum, Jeffrey White, and Paul Wagner walked through the door, and Paul was uh, someone I had worked with before and was a veteran and had done uh, television, and we had the one transitional episode, which was... Um, produced by both, and that was the 17-year itch, Carol. Right. The last one before Dan came in. And it was really important because, um, you know, for me, it was personally important because uh, there were, you know, could I really do this? And what about the writing? And, you know, wh where are we going with this? And and I remember Dan McDermott, who was the Fox executive, calls me on the phone, says, open up the yearbook. And... Uh, goes through and says, you know, they have this thing called a teen line. And I thought that sounded interesting, not knowing that years later, my daughter Maxine would actually do that mm. teen line. My but, daughter too. Yeah, and it was very worthwhile. And uh, I wrote this very quickly. And it really was written in the spirit of, I can write you under the table. I know how to write an hour of television. I wrote it in about three days. And uh, mm. what I remember first about Dan coming in was that and they and and network for the first time would be something we did positively. Mm. It wasn't the pushback, which was a nice thing. And we and I thank Dan McDermott for that. But uh, also that that Dan when he started this, I remember that first weekend, Dan, and you did something that no other director had done before. And I don't know of how many did after. You walked the sets. You you got to know the sets by walking the sets on a Saturday, a Saturday coming back to the warehouse. Was that your MO throughout your career or just starting out with us? You know, it's interesting. Um, this was like 1990, was it? 1990. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, I had a real kind of breakthrough for me directorially the year before that. I hadn't done much episodic, but I had done, it's funny, my first, after the feature film, my first episodic job was Miami Vice. And uh, I'm going to tell a little story to answer that question. I'll try to make it quick. But uh, I really got hit upside the head. This was 1986. 
what I didn't know about filmmaking could fill the library. And, uh, and, uh, and I really got hit upside the head because, you know, film, film is a language. You really have to be, develop a fluency in it because it's like it's a communication that, you know, it's, there's a grammar to it, everything. And, uh, and then my next job was so, such a painful experience that I, I, I realized I hadn't really taken seriously how ready I had to be. And my next job, I just did exactly what you described. I realized I didn't really know how I saw things until I could just sit on the set by myself and just spend the weekend, exactly that, and just let the set speak to me, kind of dream the show in my head and try to figure everything out. And that, gave me a, that really gave me a sense of security about because you walk on the set as a director you have to you take responsibility and if you're not the leader if you don't have a vision if you don't you know have an understanding of how you want to tell the story then everybody else is lost and uh so that was fresh after that chuck and that was very, i mean i still to this day will spend time on sets I, I need time to myself to really just eliminate distractions consult you know find find what really speaks to me and what wants what wants what wants me to come out so uh, yeah, that would start off the experience. It's a good memory. Well, I think when you watch General Art of Listening, and and um, for me, right from the start, you know that something is different. Dan, the shot you took coming off the stairs, going down with the cheerleaders going, and all of the 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 activity out there. Look at the seven episodes before that. No one did anything like that. No one took that big of a risk. No one had assembled so much, or you know, uh, purposeful action, you know, going here and there, and um, it really, it really was. And and with the, you know, the, the the routines that the cheerleaders were doing, it got you. It felt like we really were in high school, right from the point of even Kelly Taylor and uh, Donna Martin wanting to get out and go shopping because it's too raw, rough. So from Beverly High is right on point, right. Dan, for you, um, walking into this 90210 world, um, what are all the actors like at that time? They're all probably very young. It's a very new show. Um, they're not necessarily developed in their characters yet by any means. So how are you walking through some of that in the early stages of yeah, this? Yeah, it, really, it was really interesting uh, because, yeah, what Chuck describes was, you know, I was very well aware of it. It was a situation, in, you know, chaotic situation, uh, I remember actually in that at that time, there was no guarantee that I thought it was the sixth episode, but it must have been the seventh or eighth, something like that. There was no guarantee. I, you know, I had a blast doing it, but there I, there was real question whether the show was even going to air because <laughs> it was question about whether the show was going to make it at all. So it didn't. It, it's really one of the amazing stories I've been associated with. You know, to catch lightning in a bottle like Beverly Hills 90210 did. Mm -hmm. I've had a few experiences. I was fortunate to be a training assistant director on Airplane, the movie. So that that came out, and suddenly everyone's seen E.T. I was a second AD on E.T. Um, I was a director the second episode of The Sopranos before anybody knew that was going to be, you know, The Sopranos. And 90210 is, was similar in that no one had any idea that it could become the sensation, international sensation that it became. To this day, Chuck, I got to tell you, you know, I, I'm fortunate I, I go speak sometimes literally around the world. But last, last two summers, last summer, I guess, I went to Greece and uh, 902 and 0 was like, 
you know, a huge, huge thing there. It was, it was really fun. But when I came in there, yeah, it was definitely, it was not, it was not the feeling of, uh, it wasn't Miami Vice. It wasn't, it wasn't the shows that had kind of, you know, it was, it was a struggling show, young actors, inexperienced actors, and there was a great energy to it, but there was a lot of the feeling of people hadn't been there. You know, they, they were kind of figuring it out themselves. Um, I guess Jason had had a little experience, but I'm not sure how much experience he had really had. So there was a real freshness and it was, uh, and everybody, it was very well cast and good kids. And uh, everybody, I, I will also say, everybody really wanted it to be good. No one was uh, regarding this as anything other than a great opportunity. And uh, particularly Dylan, Luke, uh, you know, Luke, I don't know if you guys have got into this, but you know, I think Luke was was people weren't sure about Luke in the first few episodes, you know, and and I worried a little bit that that got communicated to him, and he was pretty insecure, and uh, he was so endearing, and so I remember he, he asked me to come talk to him in his trailer, and and I was aware that there were rumblings. People really can this guy really cut it or not? But he was so earnest and so wanted to be good, and was just saying, you know whatever I can do and, you know, how, whatever you need from me. And, and uh, each of the kids were great. And Paul Wagner was, was, a, real pro, was a real pro. Uh, badly he passed away way too early. And uh, so, so Paul really made the experience. And I was very friendly with Chuck. So, I, you know, I knew I know how talented Chuck is. So I knew, you know, this is going to be, there's some talent here. And Paul went tremendous, uh, uh, Solidity to the whole process. He he was really. I, I hope he's not an unsung hero. I hope he's a sung hero because he really uh, he really lent uh, stability to the situation. I could tell I was coming into something that was not running smoothly, but Paul really had that sense of authority and, and taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The one term that you haven't used in describing, which was really did also determine what we was non-union. I don't, you know, it was a non-union crew doing prime time in Los Angeles was unheard of. Yeah. You know, uh, at that point. But Paul was a pro. You're right, and he had the manner and the the, the uh, personality for uh, easy, easy going yet firm uh, and organized producing, and he was just it was great. Responsibility. I'm sure. I know he gave you, uh, you guys, Chuck and Karen and. You know, and Larry, I, I I know he gave you guys security because he was the perfect kind of line producer. I mean, I've I've run into a few more like him, but it's a rarity that people who just you know there's a there there. You know, there's someone who's who will not promise something he can't do, but he will almost never say no because he'll figure out a way to way to make it happen. And you believe him, and uh, and uh, he talked. He was a straight talker. He would say no. You know, he would say, you know, if he had to, he said, sorry, you can't do this. And he was a storyteller, which is really what anybody in this business who is good at what they do has to consider themselves, has to be. Because, you know, he, he knew how to allocate resources in a way that would serve story. And he would, you know, go to bat if something might be costly, but it was really going to advance the story. And he would say no to something that was an extravagance that wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Valerie says Shannon was experienced too, and we do Good. see a lot of Shannon in this uh, in this episode. Uh, this was a Brenda episode, Pete. You know, back then there was a Brandon episode followed by a Brenda, and a Brandon and a Brenda, and we had just come off 
the experiment of a parents episode. Right. So now we were, we're going back. It's about Brenda. And I described that one shot, how Dan got it going with the cheerleaders. The other thing, and I remember, I, I remember watching dailies with some very critical people uh, in his <laughs> office and you were shooting. And the way that you shot the first time that, that uh, when Brenda picks up the phone and has and is listening for a long time about it and this and look and you you, you did the, the the push the it was almost like a circular push you know duke even said without admitting it too much that all we would have done was a straight you know shot it would have been a stock shot i mean a, 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 the camera would not have moved yeah well, you know the way it's it's, a, it's directing we're all doing improving storytellers but the director is the chief one who has to tell the story and and what was really a fun challenge in that uh, episode i remember it was fun watching it again god it was i, I just it was so there was such innocence and in all these it, it's such an appealing cast i just loved Shannon in it and uh and uh yeah i that was it wanted to be a long shot that ended in a close shot and and that was why i did that circular move because there was nothing to cut through because the person on the other end is a mystery Right. So it's another reason for keeping the camera moving, which is mm -hmm. kind of keeps the intrigue and keeps the suspense. And by closing in, you kind of feel like the screws are tightening a little bit, also, and you're getting into you're 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 getting closer to the truth as Brenda is getting closer to the truth, right. to an insight. You're moving and it replicates her inner journey, her subjective state, which is kind of. And last, thing and last thing I'll personally say about this one is that also relative to Brenda. It was important, and it really does set up the episode that follows, isn't it romantic? Because Brenda was really, okay, I'm in Beverly Hills, and here are my friends, and I'm getting used to being here. And this. But the way that Andrea Zuckerman would say, what are you doing here? Mm. Really how maybe the series was looking at her at that point. And she was, I'm smart, I'm capable, I'm legitimate. And one of the things that I feel we all suffer from is that she learned how to be a listener. And I thought that was an important thing to communicate. That you listen to people. In looking at the episode again, too, another thing I really appreciated is the characterizations. Uh, the relationship between Andrea and uh, Brenda was very interesting, I think, because, you know, the show was kind of bold in the way it was not afraid to let a character be obnoxious, which, which Andrea was. But she never went into cliche. She was she was totally true to her character, in in kind of feeling like who like like you said, Chuck. Who are you coming into doing this? Yeah, very judgmental. Yeah, and I really enjoyed watching and remembering how uh, there was always truthfulness in both of the actors' performances, so that it could open up to a real relationship because they were never playing cliches. They were never playing false attitudes. They were playing attitudes that were really rooted in a very legitimate way, you know, rooted in their own character's experience, which which kept them able to be responsive to things that would change their perception. I thought it was beautiful. Also, just a note here. I mean, Shannon is really young in this, and I know she's had experience on some shows, but I mean, wow, is she impressive in this? I mean, she, yeah. you know, she's doing so many things inside the episode, just the way that she handles the call and the way she's listening and whatnot. What was Shannon Doherty like back then, Dan? I gotta say, I loved working with Shannon. I really, really did. And I did 
20 episodes over the first five years and really most of those the first three years. So I worked a ton with them all. And, uh, you know, I know Shannon's reputation kind of blew up and all that kind of stuff. And I was all, people would ask me about it. And all I could say was, you know, I don't know how she is offset. Maybe that's where she's not comfortable or maybe that's where some of these stories emanate. But onset, she was always a real pro, very directable, very smart actress, um, very subtle and sensitive. Uh, you know, one of those faces that you just have to think something and you're, in, you're right there with her, uh, unaffected. So I really, uh, I really always, I, she was very kind of, she was all reliable for me. It's like, I loved directing her and I, and I really loved watching her act. Hey Chuck, you said that you wrote this in what, did you say three days? Yeah, weekend. Yeah, we were behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, why did it come together so quickly for you? Well, because I saw it as a as an episode of a of a cop show, quite frankly, you know. Also, there was also the cute B story with the with the masseuse, and you think the older woman is going to get you, and and you know there it ends up being the teacher. So you know uh, there was no chance on that. But seriously, that that it would come out and someone's in jeopardy, and who's it? Is it? And this, you know, we we there were there were other shows doing that kind. These weren't set in high school, right? And I and although. Karen would especially know that I didn't write that many hours of our television. I did some and I did follow it. So I knew how to do these kind of shows. And, um, and so we, we, we built the tension to Dan built the tension on it, you know, and, and also the idea, I also then my got in my head that the, um, that it had to be a popular girl, that it had to be a cheerleader that we, you know, it's someone who say, Oh, that girl's got it all. And in high school after high school, you know, there are, are the popular crowd, you know, there, there are kids there who are, are always had been suffering, whether it was 1960s when we were there then or the 90s or now. Um, the actress that uh, Lisa Dean Ryan, I think is her name, that she went on to play in the Doogie Howser show, I think. But uh, she's really great in this, uh, the girl that plays Bonnie. Do you remember working with her at all? Yeah, I mean, it was a challenge. It was a very challenging part. Uh, I don't remember the casting process, but I do remember uh, how important it was, I know to me and I'm sure to, to all the producers, that we find someone good because that's such a challenging part because you, you have to be able to enact so many different emotional states and the denial. And I, I was very moved watching it. I mean, just the, the feeling of the social pressure and, and the, I loved how, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, you know, her demon spoke to her and she was vulnerable. But, you know, in the school day, she you would never know. And she, yeah. she did that really well, I thought. And and she, uh, yeah, she, she, she was. To answer your question about Lisa Dean, I believe yeah. she came from Fox, that, that Fox thought it would be a good part for her, that they were interested in her and eventually put her in um, the series, the college series, the uh, class of uh, whatever, class of, Class of, uh, but Mr. Spelling was so mad about that show. The college, Goldberg did it, and um, it was called oh. like the class of six ninety three or whatever it was. Good. Uh -huh. it was. was Peter Horton in that? She was one of the stars of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, she's great in this though. Um, that came, that boxed us in. They did a college show, and there we were going into our second year of high school. 
So, oh, by the way, that's another reason why Mister didn't want us to go forward to college. Did you and know? Of course, that was and just for the you showbiz people who keep notes on this, it was Leonard Goldberg who did that show to box him in. So. Mm. Uh, Chuck, you would probably you probably had the same reaction I did many years ago. It's probably ten years ago. God, when was General Arthur? That was like twenty twenty years ago. So maybe ten years ago, the guy who played the race rapist now a sports sports uh, commentator on Fox. Uh, yes. Yeah. What? I think he's Ryan O'Neill's son. Patrick O'Neill, I think, is his name. I think I think he was, is Ryan O'Neill's son, and he showed. Yeah, he did a great job too. Fantastic. I remember, yeah, I remember on some Dodger post game or some pre game or something, he was doing interviews, and I said, "Wow, you got out of jail, I guess." Or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I didn't realize. Had no idea. Yeah. Hey, Carol, last time uh, you were on the show, you said that there wasn't many moments where Brandon and uh, Cindy Walsh, that they didn't have many moments just alone together. In The Gentle Art of Listening, I believe they do have a scene together. Jim is out of town for some reason. And you guys have a chat about Brenda, who is getting all dramatic on you or all theatrical on you, right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jim's out of town or something. Yeah, what was it like looking back on that scene? Yeah, we didn't want to pay him. It sort of escaped you, you know, the last time of having a scene just with Jason. Right. Well, I guess I was thinking more about a scene about the two of us rather than a scene where we're, you know, talking about when I, you know, I came back and did a guest star, and I think it was the seventh season, and we had a wonderful scene together. It was, it was really fun. I enjoyed working with Jason. He was a wonderful director from the get go. I thought. Um, so, but yes, I was, I mean, I watched the, I, I watched as much of these, uh, shows as I could. And, um, there was a, there's a lovely lady on this show. She's got like auburn hair and she seems to be the mother. She looked very familiar, but I couldn't place <laughs> her. And I'm telling you, it's a blank up here. <laughs> I love it. I gotta say, I really enjoyed this one about the teen line, though, because I mean, I think that's the kind of show that really started to bolster the reputation of the show as as a show that wasn't afraid to deal with reality, to deal with real issues. And boy, that ending, that was great. Well, it meant a lot. The person who snipped at my heels the most, actually, when it ended, ended and said, "That's the best show we've done," and and that was a compliment because he. Uh, didn't have many other nice things to say before or after. I sound like fucking Trump, but I'm not carrying it. I promise. I, I don't. It that hurts that I wasn't, or or, or Alan. Uh, you know, I didn't get invited to the party. You know. Right. So, don't go there. Yeah. Um, but Andrea is so great in this to Gabrielle, and I just want to let everybody know that uh, Andrea will be here, or Gabrielle will be here with us next Wednesday. So yeah. uh, that should be a lot of fun. And while we're on that topic, I'm going to run a little promo because someone is going to get a chance to uh, hang out with us and Gabrielle. So here's what you got to do. Attention, West Beverly High. You have an essay due. Don't you have a newspaper to edit? On August 26th, Gabrielle Carteris is joining the Beverly Hills 90210 show. And you'll have a chance to join us for five minutes to ask her anything. So, what do you have to do? Submit a one-paragraph essay to Peter at BeverlyHills90210show.com on why you should be the chosen one to chat with her. That sounds a little more exciting than digging for sand crabs all summer. 
Pete, Charles, and Larry will pick their favorite of the bunch, and you'll get a chance to be on the show. So, all you budding Blaze newspaper reporters, put that pen to paper now. Dazzle us with your fandom for Gabby. It's sweet. All right, so just send me an email with your essay, and one of you will get a chance to join us next week. Um, Dan, what about working with Gabrielle? I mean, uh, you know, she's the president of SAG now. She's, she's <laughs> for Gabrielle was a lot of fun, and she was the oldest of all the cast. I, as I mm -hmm. recall, she was like 10 years older than every, anybody else. Is that right, Chuck? I mean, or at yeah. least something like that, I think. Yeah. 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 So, so it, it, you know, it almost felt, I mean, you know, I, I I did feel that she had a lot more uh, maturity than than some of the others, uh, which is perfect for the part she was playing because she's a precocious character. So it was fine that she she brought that worldly wisdom to it. She's a kick. She's great. I mean, I just you know, I have only very fond memories of working with Gabrielle, and she was always game. And and also, I loved how she was always willing to, you know. You know, like in gentle art, she was willing to come off as obnoxious if she needed to. Like that part, she didn't. She didn't back away from it. She didn't editorialize about it. She didn't say, "I'm not really like this." As she was doing it, she just always commit to it. So, and that's why she's an indelible, really good character. Uh, Ryan Thomas Brown wants to know how we're going to grade these essays. That's months who played months on 90210. <laughs> the old Chuck and Larry. <laughs> yeah. Spelling to Ryan. Spelling counts. Lily, <laughs> uh, I'm curious if you have any questions specifically uh, for anybody about this episode before we hop in. Yeah, the we do. We do actually. Um, one of our viewers, Alicia Bogner, um, this is actually one of her favorite episodes, and it is for several of us as well. But she wants to know um, the follow up with Bonnie. Uh, we see at the end that the guys get arrested, but we don't get to see Body getting any help or counseling. Um, what was the reasoning behind that? Several of us would have loved to see the follow-up um, and how Bonnie well, coped. The, the, the truthful reason, first of all, our two reasons. One, we were self-contained, so there was no follow-up afterwards. And second of all, we didn't have a weekly uh, contract with, with her. So no. we were bringing her back to do the, the therapy episode. And it's only 44 minutes, so how much can you squeeze in, you know? I mean, I know that sounds glib. Tell the person, whoever it was, say, when we when we do BYOB and, we're, and Brandon spends only a night in jail and it all goes away, that one I'll, I'll, I'll step up to and say, boy, did we blow that. But um, this one, you know, that she was really a guest star, and that's how we had to look at it and assume that she's good. If you were on 90210 and you had a problem, you were getting counseling one way or the other, right, Jess? I mean, <laughs> we had a hospital wing that was dedicated to our broken character. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so similar question. Why? I'm sure there's a whole uh, room just for Ray Pruitt, right? And Emily Valentine visited. She stayed there for a while. We had people who all off to the hospital. But I, I, I do think that there was a shot at the end, Dan, of somebody hugging her. Yeah, I think so. I, she yeah. got hugged. I think wasn't that the lady who ran Teen Line hugging her, or somebody yeah. tall yeah. and grown up looking? Yeah, I was impressed. I was impressed how everybody got there in time. That was nice. But <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I got to say an answer to that. I think one thing that uh, you know everything Chuck said. That's that's the nature of 
especially then in, in single and episodic TV. But one thing that mitigated that problem a little bit for me, I thought was a nice touch in the script, was uh, she benefited from the team line. She did say no at the end. So that there was a way in which, you know, at yeah. the end, she finally stood up to them. She stood and, up to them. Uh, and I think that kind of takes, it takes a curse off a little bit because she's got, you know, Brenda has helped her. Yes. Know, so. uh, go ahead, Lily. You have another one? Oh, I do. Uh, so Zara Brown asks, what was the feedback um, from the network and from the audience after this episode aired? We were allowed to stay on for another week. <laughs> I, 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 no, as I said, you know, they, they realized at this point that um, that there was uh, that, that we could step it up. And certainly that lent the support to Isn't It Romantic the following week. And when you put those together uh, and then have a car where your lead cracks up a car because he's drunk, you know, this is not your grandma's uh, high school show. Yeah, for sure. Those were those two episodes. Um, okay, do, are we guys ready to move on to Paris? No, I, have, Let I, me, have um, I actually okay. have special feedback here from uh, Lori McKenzie Ebersol. It's not necessarily a question, but she wants you guys to know that the the episode, The Gentle Art of Listening, was a significantly important episode regarding date rape amongst teens. It's been an ongoing issue for many years, and the coverage on this sensitive topic was very impactful and important. Kudos for this attention to what had been a hushed and quiet shame for many young girls and also on a lighter note the lady who played the um teen line program also led the self-defense class that cindy andrea and brenda took in season three oh, <laughs> there you go she's really her career doing something else worthwhile jessica what did you have you wanted to add something i just wanted to tell dan how special it was to watch this episode for me because if you really helped cement these characters they in in this episode from season one, they already were fully formed, and you were part of creating that sense that the that I mean, Steve Sanders was the same Steve Sanders in episode from season one as he continued to be. That really, I, I I thought that was great. And in addition, I wondered this may not be the time, Pete, that you want to do this, but I think it would be wonderful to hear you talk to the fans a little bit about the relationship between the director and the executive producer, you guys, who are also the writer, Chuck, but to talk about the, how the scenes, how much you discussed the scenes before you shot them. I was so impressed by the B story and the sexy stuff where the lines were all about herbal wraps, except it was so sexy how she was delivering it. And that, Chuck must have written some of that, but you must have also said, this is how I want you to shoot it, Dan, or Dan said to Chuck, this is how I'm going to shoot it. That was I mean, terrific. It was no, just more, great. More, more than that, Jessica, Chuck actually put on a wig and played that part. He <laughs> was <laughs> you giving away all of my secrets, buddy. Uh, Pete, what do you want to do? I can talk about that. A yeah, little no, bit. please. I'd love that. That's so, great. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I definitely, and, and it leads into something else too. Well, the spelling company, the one thing that I got, and this again from Duke Vincent was the tone meeting was that, and it was the most important meeting that I did. Uh, and, and we're doing it right from the start because Duke told me to. And, and what it is, is you go through every line of the script and you, you basically say to the director, this is what I'm thinking. And Paul made it up to the whole game and said, you do have the conversation 
with the director in front of him. And it's really the three of us having it, even though I'm leading it. And of course, if the writer would be in, in this case, I was both, but the writer would be there too. And all of Larry, Karen, and Jessica had that experience of being the writer in the tone meetings. And what it is, while it's why it's important for Paul, it's a defensive thing for a producer, quite frankly, because not someone like Dan, but oftentimes a direct or not a, a director has been known to say, well, the executive producer told me I could do it, so we should be able to do it. But if the producer was in in every conversation, the director cannot say that and get away with it. So that was a spelling. Um, I just want to say how important that was from the writer's perspective because, um, you know, your first draft's usually too long and you, you want to cut it back as you go, you know, you want to tighten it up once you see what's strongest and what's staying and what you have to cover. But one thing that gets cut a lot in the short is the stage directions to make room for the dialogue that you actually need. And so you don't have the luxury of just any page count. They really take the page count seriously. There's no room for just description that takes up no time. So that to me was what the tone meeting did to describe sort of the atmosphere. This is a jocular scene, not a tense, stressful one or something. You know, usually it's apparent, but um, you know, if you're in a hurry, you know, and you don't pay attention and doesn't say the mood or, you know, this particular line is the key line of the thing. You know what I mean? It just allows you to do stuff. You might have put in a script if it was a screenplay for a movie. The director's point of view of that. Chuck, did you want to say something first? Yeah, no, but you go ahead because I'm, I'm. Yeah, first of all, thank you very much for your, your kind words on that. You know, um, yeah, the tone meeting is always something that's that's vitally important to me. And you know, sometimes shows, I don't recall when we did it on 90210, but I, I've since, you know, I always am lobbying for the tone meeting to happen early, as early in prep as possible. A lot of shows wait till all the prep is done and then do the tone meeting the day before you start shooting, which uh, makes no sense because the tone meeting is where I, as the, where the director gets the sense, of what I look for in a tone meeting is, 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 a sense of, you know, what is in the writer's mind? What are the intentions? What is the subtext? What is the point of, whose point of view is the scene? Uh, I, I try to approach them, and I'm sure I did this uh, then, but, you know, I'll, I'll try to be as uh, full of questions as I can and, and, and interpretations. I'll, you know, you read the script, and you got, but I want to check them out. This feels to me. And what the value of it is, you know, this is an interpretive art. And, uh, the best producers, I think, understand that uh, this is really only a skeleton. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as shooting the script. That would just be pictures of words on a page. I mean, you've got to make it come to life. So what, you know, I try to enter any sh every show with is a deeply imbued sense of what are the values of the scene? What are we trying to get? Why is it in the script? What's the, what's, what's the reason for it being here? What's the, what's the building block, the story building block that it represents? I'd like to know everything about the characters, and I'm sure that's what we did. I mean, because that's that's how I have to work, and I'm and Chuck and Karen, you know, love to share that kind of work on that same level. And then it's, then it's interpretive. Then it's like you can't you can't just say do it this way. But once once the director is filled with that sense, then, then you can trust your instincts. You can you can monitor how things feel in the moment, and is it is it giving the feeling that we're we're after? So. Uh, 
Chuck, did you have something that you wanted to follow up on? I, I want to jump into something in, in two episodes just uh, in season one, just briefly to mention. And, and Dan, uh, in the, they are um, East Side Story and uh, April is the Cruelest Month. Oh, yeah. East Side Story, you used the word prep. And, and East Side Story, if you remember, was it was the first episode we were shooting coming back from Christmas. And we, uh, a, a script was handed in that, was, that Dan read and said, you know, Chuck, this isn't as good as the last one I got. And indeed, the person who wrote that script submitted their res um, their uh, resignation at that moment. And here was the script. And I was, you know, I've talked about the first 12, so burnt out. And and Dan said, well, you know, I think you could probably do better. And, and don't worry if you don't have a script for me in prep. And Dan prepped off an outline that was written in like two to three days and, and very different was the episode you ended up seeing. And then came Christmas vacation before I, and so thank you for that, Dan, because that was um, when Mr. Spelling ended up reading the script, his note back to me was, well, now you've done it. All of them have to be this book. And in some sense, you think, oh, that's a nice compliment. But we both know Mr. Spelling well enough to say, you fool. Okay, now we have to make all of them this good. Uh, there was that subtext, too. But um, <laughs> I really want to shout out before talking, giving it to Jessica to talk about what you said one of your fave episodes, which was April's The Cruelest Month. Um, I, you know, that, that when Christmas happened and I had to write the script, that script would not have been written without the uh, lady in the box up there who uh, helped me so much because I was just completely brain dead. You're talking about yeah. Jessica helped with East Side Story? No, Karen. Karen. The other lady Karen. in the box. Oh, so Karen. 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 Yeah, we have a number. I have like 17 credited episodes. I have a number of uncredited credits too. Mm. <laughs> for the early, a couple of early seasons there. Yeah, a lot of showrunners have that uh, issue. Ali Alicia posts uh, posts this for the, uh, the from the episode we were talking about in the Gentle Art of Listening. That isn't it interesting that Brandon snubbed the younger girl at the beginning of the episode, and then he didn't get the uh, the older girl. So even that uh, story was was really yeah, he was nice to the younger girl. Then he realized yeah. he became yes. more human. That was for a good. Uh, Oh, absolutely! I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, do we are we ready to fly to Paris, guys, and 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 talk about how uh, how Paris came to be? Yeah. So, Chuck, talk to me about that. Um, when do we decide that Donna and Brenda are going going to Paris, and how do how do we kind of get into bringing Dan into that world? Are we going to shoot in Paris? Are there conversations like that happening, or what's going on? Well, we the op the idea that we were going to send them to Paris started. And uh, Luke Perry came in at the end of season two and said, you know, I'd like to do scenes with the blonde. So I think I can quote him on that. <laughs> and, uh, and the idea of the triangle came. And once we got that approved, it had to do the mice, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And we were now doing well. And we're coming into the third season. And what that meant for us was we have more money to spend, as we talked about. We had very little to spend in season one and not much more to spend in season two. But we get to season three, and if you look at all the extras that we had on the back lot in Universal, you can see this is a different television show. 
And one of the reasons we got so many extras and why it looks so good is because they wouldn't let us go to Paris. <laughs> and we had it all. Uh, my friend Jeff Melman was going to go there and shoot it. He, he was the director of the episode between uh, the two that Dan uh, did in the Paris episodes. And we and it would have been, you know, it would have been a few walk and talks in front of the Louvre. It would not have been the richness that we got from uh, shooting on the back lot. And Dan, I hope you had the experience sometime of being on the back lot on the studio tour at Universal in those years when they would say, well, there are many things that have been done here. And then they would they would talk about 90210. Yes, I was on that tour. I've, I've experienced it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's on the tour of the Huntington Gardens where we also filmed a lot of <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah. the Rick stuff. And the Hellington looked beautiful, uh, by beautiful. the way. You really uh and, and it was early enough in the season too that was still green there. It wasn't too hot uh shooting out in uh, right. San Marino. But but Dan, you come in. Uh, this is you know obviously you shot some stuff in season one and two, and then you come into season three, and everybody is sort of grown up a little bit. Mm -hmm. the characters are sort of they, they're starting to know themselves and whatnot. What is it like when you get to work on uh, on that particular season? You mean the shift in kind of the zeitgeist in this? Well, that you know that was one of the amazing times where you know very young performers were thrust into such international fame that uh, I'm frankly was happily surprised how well they dealt with it, but there were some, there were some inflated uh, self-regard going on. And, uh, but everybody, no one was, no one was malicious or anything else. Everybody was, every, they're all good people. So, Plus, you know, they liked to be being at the beach. That was a fun place to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I think everybody really enjoyed it. I got caught up in the fun, too. I enjoyed being associated with a show that was like, you know, so, you know, colleges would meet in their dorms to watch it in the night. It was all it was all fun, you know. And uh, yeah, the actors, you know, they were full of beans a little bit more. There was that. Um, and, you know, you adjust. I mean, it, all I can do as a director is deal with what with reality, the reality in front of me. And I'm always trying to get a performance. And, I, you know, it does no good to try to make somebody be other than they are. I want them to be them, themselves. So it's, it's just a natural response of mine to just deal with them wherever they were. So I didn't really register how much they were different. I just was registering where they were in the moment and how can I get what I want from them. So, uh so it, but it was really a kick. It was fun, and the the Parisian stuff, the beach stuff, was a blast. I mean, I I guess we were filming. Yeah, we had to have been filming in the summer because I remember one July Fourth bringing my little children down to the coming into the Beverly Hills Beach Club to watch the fireworks and off the Santa Monica Pier. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it, and I live in Santa Monica, so it was just you know the best going down to to work on it. And uh, so I don't recall any any problems. I think everybody was delighted that. Uh, we were all doing so well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Liz, Liz says the Paris episodes really take me back to uh, being a carefree teenager in the summer. I think that everybody can sort of, all the fans of the show definitely can uh, speak to that. There's something special about those episodes and Brenda falling in love with Reek. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm curious, what was it like working with Dean Kane? How did he? Uh, how did he come into the mix of this? Chuck, you said that there was someone else that was that might have been uh, Dean in Dean Kane's Rick's part, right? 
Yes, I believe that uh, Dan, uh, Cam may not remember this, but certainly Karen and I do. The uh, Mark Kiley, who ended up coming back and being the journalism to Gil Myers in season three, um, we liked a lot. And Mr. Spelling said, you can have him for something else, but look at that Dean Kane. I mean, Dean, and especially was very good looking, and Dan probably got the best performance he ever gave. By the way, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I'm sure it was in one of those two episodes that uh, Peter Krause was in it. Yes, that was really really great. You made Andrea very sexy, and she it was all it all felt natural, and I I was really pleased seeing that again. I because we wrote the stuff where they were home on the beach, and Karen wrote the stuff where they were off in Paris. And I, again, no memory at all. And and so it was thrilling to see it all because, and it turned out great. Yeah, I agree. Can I say something? I just want to say, I'll share a moment with you all um, that I have direct memories of the time because some of the moments I still remember this day as so much fun. And one of those moments was at Universal when we stopped shooting episode three, we were moving to episode four in the same day, just to be, you know, efficient with location. And they turned over from Dan Adias to Jeff Melman or vice versa, who was the director, both of both friends of mine. And it was like watching a new dad come on to take care of this group of kids. You know, it was like the new dad came on this at the new, you know, leader and um, turned over the helm. And it was like, so, so, you know, because everyone focuses a lot on the director. And then when he steps out and here's a new one, you know, and it was, and I love them both. And I, it was just, they both had a slightly different approach with the kids, a little different amb- ambiance in this, you know what I mean? And, but I remember things like that. So, uh, it's so much fun in my, in my experience with well, the show. I should say you pinpointed one of the really interesting challenges of being a, a guest director on yeah. the TV, because you come in and you have to be the leader you're the, you're the one temporary person there and you're, and you're the leader and, uh, and you expect, and you, and you need to develop trust right away. I mean, actors are, you know, sussing you out. Can I trust this person? I mean, they're going to do it. I have no idea. So. Um, and you both have had decades long careers because you obviously have mastered that particular art. You, you need to, or you won't survive. I just want to say about Peter Krause, it was so funny seeing that because I went on to direct him a lot in six feet under. Oh God. And it's like he was, I mean, just just playing such a different kind of character was really fun to watch. And when you were there in Six Feet Under, you went up to him and reminisced about the Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, we definitely did. And we well, definitely did you really? I was teasing oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, we, when you know someone and you come back, hey, Peter, how are you? You know, we had Is actually. That like his yeah, yeah. Credit, so, maybe? He was so hey, young. Our friend, uh, Jerry Weiss, wanted to know. If uh, you told Dean Kane you'd be inviting him back later in the season, was that something that you guys had talked about? Oh, yes. I noticed in, in the uh, French episode, first of all, that uh, if you look at the first one, of course, that's in the back lot. And Dan staged the traffic and made it seem that it was a square and everything. And then in episode five, when he's leaving to catch the cab and Brenda runs in to try to find him and sees him across the street and lets him go, Dan shot that when he shot the first episode, even though it was in the fifth episode. And I believe the following one uh, starts when, when, when the girls are flying home and Brenda has a fantasy that she went on away with him 
and Dan shot that too in the back lot there. That that one you know moment. It was just a shot and a setup. It, it wasn't that that you know much of a thing. I don't think. But but so for that, those three certain for so for that extra one at media laughter we had to book him for that because we knew we were using his face in that and then we knew eventually he would come back i'm not a sherry i'm not a, quite sure if we, we we settled on the exact dates at that moment but uh we could have we did things like that we, we were pretty organized one of the reasons i brought up that east side story is because that was the only episode that we ever went into uh, an episode without a script, without mm. one being ready. Never made a director do what we made Dan do, which is prep no, off. That's why, Chuck. That's why you you were a very and are a very good showrunner because that's that's what you know an appreciation for what prep really means is is it enables everybody to do their job better. But I will say that back on that East Side Story thing, I mean, my bias is give me give me better material if I can connect people to a story, I'm going to do a better job anyway. But we have the advantage, as you mentioned, of having the Christmas break. So I knew, I knew I'd have plenty of time to figure it out. So Kevin wants to know, Brenda starts smoking in Paris. Why was that added to her character? Karen, you want to get into that? Yeah, sure. That was, um, I thought, a brilliant idea that Chuck had. Um, and it was in line with the idea of planting a seed and an episode and you know it's a serialized you know uh, tactic but that you plan it and then you can grow it and then you can deal with it later and it seems organic and authentic and um you know we did like he de very much wanted to address issues and smoking is you know starts in teenagerdom you know that's when it starts and you know it was uh, such an important subject so to do the way he envisioned it you had to sort of show her get hooked and why you know it starts their first episode donna complains her throat sore from everyone smoking on the plane and there's this anachronistic restaurant references now in the episode can you imagine people smoking on a plane now i, I can't even but but at the time that was going on and having the cabbie smoke in the cab it would never happen now you know all the right it's changed so much but at the time it was just showing poo 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 but then how you kind of you get used to it they're all smoking and how it insidious with so many people right was it was an issue for so many kids and that's how you get hooked by the time you're an adult so but there was a lot of pushback on it and could not really you know it was hard to push that through to have it be like, she's gonna have to quit later but let's show her get hooked first so people can relate and then see her quit and that'll be a great example and that was such an argument i don't know why that was such an argument it seems like a no-brainer to me it's because they want to separate some of the episodes and they didn't want to have a hanging reference to her smoking that wouldn't be resolved. That's good. It was more than that, though, because I remember a lot of arguments, standards, and practices about that we couldn't uh, deal with a message about negative behavior of any kind without showing the negative behavior. So if we want to do an episode about how it's bad to smoke, you're going to have to show somebody smoking before you can show them coughing and say it's bad. If you want to show somebody doing that drugs are terrible, as we do later in the intervention episodes, we see Dylan completely crumbling. You don't have to show progression of the, of the negative behavior. And every single one was an argument with either spelling or standards and practices or the network. And it was a it was an ongoing uh, battle that we tried to fight. 
Karen, one, one of the fun things that you do in this, in the, in this episode is the brain, eating of the brain. Sorry, Chuck, go ahead. This was, a, I just have to finish it up because this was a loss. I lost the battle. The biggest fight I got in with Dan McDermott was over the cigarettes. And we had to do that one awful episode, have it be done in one, mm. you know, one episode. And, and it was, she was, you know, I didn't believe she was addicted. No, but I mean, I wanted to go on for 15 episodes. I wanted her friends to shun her. I wanted to do another thing. The snaking, I quit, then you go back to it. What it really is to be a young person smoking, which Karen, Jessica, and I, and Larry, all, Dan was a good boy, but we all knew what it was to be a high school smoker. And um, the, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, it always made me feel, feel very un unsettled that we did not get that out and really have the impact that well, can I, I know, Peter, you were asking about the brains, which I will yeah. answer. I just also want to say, when you think about it, 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 what Jessica was saying of how just the change in standards and practices and the change in what's allowed to be done when you think now, I mean, of the HBO shows and Sopranos and the behavior of the people where you're rooting for the, the villains of all time and you relate to them and approve, you almost approve their, their behavior. Um, it just, you know, the, we, that wasn't the the era we were coming off of. So that's why it really wasn't, it wasn't done then. But the yeah. answer- but we, were dealing with, we were dealing with kids. Yeah. And one of the things that we always had to deal with is with drugs, for example, we couldn't show them actually ingesting. So like the camera had to be in the back of Dylan's head when he was smoking the heroin. Um, later on, we'll deal, we'll talk yeah. about that episode. But, uh, but, um, but what, as it, it, as I stayed in tween television after nine or two and oh, and this continued to be an ongoing thing throughout my twenty years or career. Go on, Chad. I just want to say also that we were just a really a tobacco laden set. Mm. Shannon was a smoker. Luke was a smoker. Jason was a heavy smoker, and so it was like, guys, let, let's deal with what's going on around us here because we got to get a bit of fresh air. Yeah, and for Karen with the with the brains writing the brains segment, that was brilliant. I think everybody sort of remembers part of Paris for for that those episodes for that. Do you remember writing that, and uh, what was that like? Totally remember, remembered living it in Paris, my first trip to Paris and ordering and ordering what I thought was veal and it was Tectivo. It wasn't, we used Cervelvo, the, the actual name that would be on the menu, but you know, in a restaurant where we were intimidated and we didn't, I didn't speak quite enough good French and the waiter was in a hurry and we got the fish and the brains and my husband did me the favor. He did not order the brains. He got the fish and then he switched with me. So that was very, very nice. That very much. But I do recall, I'll fess up to this. Dan in a tone meeting, he didn't like that joke. Is this really, I mean, haven't we seen this before? And Chuck was like, yeah, tell me where. Where have we seen this? <laughs> and it's like maybe maybe Uncle Milty did something like that. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> but uh, but he pulled it off. I thought they did great with it. I thought they did it very funny and the little pieces they used of them spitting that out. I mean, I laughed out loud. So I laughed. I laughed. Too. I also have to say, you did a great job with a real deaf kid. Yes, oh, thank you. That was, I think, yeah. Chuck. That was a big deal that we hired a real deaf boy, yeah. and Dan directed him beautifully. And that was, I think, an important moment for the series as well because it showed that we were trying to be inclusive. 
Yeah. And and um, the uh, we just were talking before you started uh, the live. Uh, Jessica and I were reminiscing, and and Chuck that our daughters were in that episode in the yeah. Yeah. the very first two three minute scenes is Brandon is buried up to his neck in the sand, and and Lynn and he's going, hey guys, come on, let me on. He, and Lynn's going, we're having fun. My daughter, girl one and girl two. They're eight years old. They're in the tug of rope. They're in the red rover. They were all through it. And I forgot that. Actually. I forgot too. And there's my little girl running across the scene. So I want to thank you, Dan, because not only were they in it, you kept them in the cut and, yeah, and used yeah. them throughout. So well, it was I'm very good. And Randy Spelling was in it too. And oh, Randy Spelling. Yeah, that was yeah. There was a family episode. Uh, Dan, I want to go back to the brains thing. Um, it's interesting because uh, you know Tori is Tori is so funny in those scenes, and she just rocks comedy. And and then one, and a little bit later on, one of the other episodes, she's so good at you know sometimes interpreting like drama and whatnot. What was it like working with Tori? Tori had this really interesting uh, natural effectless quality that you really I didn't direct it. I mean, she had it. Uh, you know, some things she could pull off, some things maybe not, but, you know, it, it, but she always had a very unique authenticity to it that was just very, very particular to her. And I think that's why it worked when she do it. It just was something that was idiosyncratic to the way she responded to things. And uh, I don't remember really, you know, needing to note her very much on those kind of moments. She had a, she has a real good instinctive sense of it. Yeah. Hey, Larry, uh, you were not a part of any of this, and you're no. review, you reviewed uh, these episodes. Yes. Coming from it later on, we're going to talk about that other episode. But what did you? What was your take looking at these episodes? I'm curious. I'm always curious about what you think about these things. Well, you know, I mean, there's like a Rosetta Stone like moment in the Wasserman Klein uh, triangle. I mean, that just became what the template of the show was. The other thing I noticed in the early episodes that, uh, that Dan, because the, there was a first uh, season episode and the third season episode and fifth season I was there. Um, but in the first, all the actors seemed to be like trying to find out defining their characters. And Brenda got defined in that gen gentle art of listening. That was really satisfying, I thought. I was totally shocked in the, in the, in the first episode of the, uh, the two, was it Too Little Too Late? of the Brandon getting cuckled about this kiss with Brand with uh, Andrea. I mean, come on, guys. What happened there? I, I was shocked. And I didn't see sex lies in video table, whatever, volleyball. So I don't know what happened to Brandon, but he seems like he really cares about it because he goes way out of the way to kind of make her feel guilty about leaving for a job for a deaf kid that she's only met like a day ago. And, she, and so I got to believe that he really wanted to see her. And, you know, and I know she says to him, you know, you know, we have to lose it. But I had no idea there was heat between them. I was, you know, I, 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 I'm glad I didn't see that episode. But <laughs> it really confused me. And I love the guy playing Jay, who is Peter Krause. I, and I thought the kiss was one of the best kisses. Dan, you have a lot of kisses in, the, in these shows, which is fabulous. I, and the French, kiss, the French kiss must have really got the kids going, I thought. That was really a seminal moment. So I love the Paris stuff. I don't want to take up too much time because I didn't do it, but I, I really felt like this is setting the, the, the roots of the show up in those early episodes and who the characters were. And when that triangle hits, that became the series. The other thing I noticed was we always talk about the template being 
emotion, passion, bonding, fun. But there was another thing which Chuck always brought to it, which was a social conscience. And that really plays in it. So the, you had a combination of beautiful people, you had the fun we had, and then you had the social conscious stuff. And that's what made the show so special, I think. There was really something there. The other thing was, by the time the summer episodes came, I, tell me if I'm wrong, Chuck, but you really were on the camera, the calendar at that point, so which added another emotional reality to the show because yes. one of the summer we were watching, it was summer at home for yes. you. When you're starting school, they were starting school, and it all made it seem real and more vital. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Zara says Larry is preaching. So there. <laughs> I think she means it in a good way. Not in the choir. Just footnote. Well, no, just a, I just, you know, I saw the show basically being formed there. I mean, I just said really had, you know, you see the elements of it. And, you know, some people, you know, and also as we, Chuck and Peter and I talked about it, in the season one, it was called like a show that has no memory because they were really standalone episodes. They were trying to really find and define the show. And then when once everyone had their characters, then the important thing, and this happens also in number five, in the intervention scene where all these callbacks happen for other episodes when they're trying to make Dylan remember how, how he saved them all. And that's what really made the fans get hooked onto the show because the writers cared about what had happened before. And we referenced that in like little nuggets. You get like little equity for watching every show. Yeah. Uh, Val Marin says, uh, loved when Andrea said, what makes you think you're so damn irresistible? I love that line too. She says the seated jerk she calls him too. Yeah. Hey, Lily, what do you do? You have any questions about this Paris stuff? I know that you're going to probably ask something about a triangle. Mm, not, not too deep. Okay. But the ones I want to focus on are: um, we need to know what was the actual food that was used in Donna and Brenda's brain dish? Was it really brains, or was it veal? Or uh, you know, it would have been whatever the prop people talked to Brett, uh, Shannon and Tori about and said, what, what do you, you know, these are the options that look like brains. What, what do you think? Like to me. I don't, I don't know really <laughs> what it was. Yeah. That's how it works in film. Yeah. The actors have to eat it, so they usually get to choose it. Right, Carol? Can I just say, <laughs> okay. I love brains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I'm with you on that, Carol. It's yeah. the texture that. But with this went back to brains, it gives me an opportunity to to admit, confess, that the night after the meal that Karen described, we went to a different restaurant with a different menu and ordered brains again. Shukrut. That means sauerkraut. We thought we were getting sauerkraut. Lily, <laughs> what else you got? So, yeah, I'm going to avoid the triangle because I know that's not what we're getting into today. But, right. but um, did Shannon triangle. know any French during these episodes? And did Gabrielle already know any sign language? Gabby did. Gabby did. Uh, Shannon didn't. Shannon didn't know any French. So that's something uh, picked up for this. Yes, we had a coach for the accent. And uh, and I did notice her, her accent got better from... You know the first thing in the cab where she's uh, she's speaking with no accent whatsoever, and then uh, purposely, and then it got better and better as they were the longer they were there and the more coaching. That and the drama coach was our friend Joshua Carton, who Dan knows as Gary Carton, and who uh, was a good actor, but but became more of a teacher of acting. And he, for the nine hundred two one zero super fans, 
he's the one in the early episode that was the driving teacher, the first driving teacher you saw for Brenda. It was the same actor. Oh, oh interesting. Um, Lily, Sarah says Lily is a pro. Nobody does it better than her. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you deserve that. I remember Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. All right, let's move on to the uh, the last of the bunch that we talked about, the um, – the intervention, and I was able to find something. You guys are going to find this interesting. I pulled this clip from Entertainment Tonight Canada of Luke talking about uh, this episode. So let's play this. Was there something you did on that show that you're still sort of like, I can't believe we did that? When they had me driving in the car smoking heroin, yeah, I just thought <laughs> that that was a little much. In reality, you know, heroin is a problem in that demographic, you yeah. know, and it was starting to become so. But that, for me, I remember, because I, I remember doing the shot where I had to have the cameraman sitting on the back of the car, shooting over my shoulder so you could see that I was had it in my hand and what I was doing and also that the, that the car was moving, you know, to sort of heighten the danger element. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, this is crazy. This, this yeah. doesn't seem like a shot for our show. You know, it, hold the heroin pipe up a little and get the flame under it. Now, you know, and I thought, bad, ah, this doesn't seem like 90210. I mean, so there you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, let me say, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't think it felt like 90210 because it shouldn't have. This yeah. was, I was doing my best to make as edgy a show as possible, not to romanticize this or sentimentalize it. And uh, in looking at it, I had actually forgotten the episode included him driving off the cliff. I was thinking, wait, he walks out. Then is this resolved in another episode? And when I watched it, I was really happy with how edgy and and scary uh, it was. And uh, so it couldn't have felt like an episode. I would have reminded Luke that he was the one that pushed us to be edgy, 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 and made us feel very sophomoric when we weren't. I would. Uh, he, he probably forgot that in that interview in Canada. When was that? I was so touched seeing him. Do you know how many years ago that was done? That I don't. I'm, I'm, I think it's about three or four years ago when they when they to the end for it. Yeah, it was for sure. Um, Dan, I wanted to ask you what it was like working with Luke Perry. Uh, Luke, Luke is my wife to this day adores Luke, and I, you know, he he's. One of the, he was one of the gentlest souls, and uh, you know to have the kind of stardom. I remember in the third, second, or third season, he'd come back. Oh, I just was flown by Madonna to join her, and you know it's like how he became. As, as I'm sure the fans know, he he was a real heartthrob, and and I felt that watching these episodes, I could see my God, he was appealing, charismatic, and he he always was down to earth. Yeah. He really was a serious actor. He really wanted it to be good. He really wanted to take chances and risks. And you see that in his career choices afterwards. He did some very edgy things from Orange is the Black to Rocky Horror Show he did. And, and uh, Buffy, Buffy and all that. He, he always was really wanting to soak up experience, have experience. He was... Uh, just a beautiful soul and, a, and easy, easy, easy to work with. Not easy in the sense he was very challenging. He was constantly challenging me, always on my game. And 
And I love that about him. Carol, you were going to say? He, he's just a very grounded human being from, yeah. from the get-go. And, it, yeah. and with all of that, as you, I think you're right, Dan. I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah. All the fame and fancy stuff he got going into. You go to his his memorial service, and it's his best, oldest friends who are telling stories about him. Yeah. And, and one, that was very touching. One thing I learned was that he knew from a very young age that he was meant to be doing to be an actor and be up on the screen, like a very early age in an environment where it, it was definitely an outlier, you know, that wasn't what everybody was doing in his community necessarily, but he said, I'm gonna well, be doing I, I wanna say too, looking at these episodes, I don't want the show to be over without my saying how much I adore Jason Priestley too. And, and, yeah. and I, I frankly was very touched looking at Channel Art because, you know, he was so fresh and, and uh, carefree then. I think, frankly, he got a little burdened during the run of the show with having to be the do-gooder and all that because it's not it's not Jason. And, I only gave Jason one note at the whole time, which was when he complained. It was it was uh, early on in the in the um, second season. He said, "I don't get the guys that Jason. Just think of what I would be saying. Think of Brandon as me." It is me as a designated driver with everybody in the backseat tripping. And, you know, and that's not who Jason really is. And I felt like, you know, he did a great job. And Chuck, you're a very dramatic, dramatically worthy character. I don't need to say that. But Jason's potential nature is much more of a bad boy and a just a guy who loves to just, you know. Cut up. Dare, daredevil. Yeah. A daredevil. Yeah. Sherry, yeah, Sherry yeah. again, hello, Sherry. Uh, uh, we got you two questions yeah. today. Yeah. She also brings up this really beautiful scene uh, in intervention with Luke and, and Carol uh, when Cindy convinces uh, Dylan to go back to the house. Um, yeah. Remember doing that with with him? And I, I, I don't. I, I remember the house. I, that was a fabulous house. The exterior was like right down the street from the exterior of the Walsh house. But I always loved working with Luke. Um, he, he, he was so there. He was so easy back and forth with. Um, yeah, I relished every moment. On screen, I got okay, like, let me let me compliment you too. I was about to say, I, I when I looked at the episode again, I was so impressed with Luke's performance. It seemed so raw and authentic, and you really kicked it off too, Carol. Because I thought, I thought for that to work, the way you came over and got him to come over to the house, there was just real mutual respect and real authenticity and restraint, which was appropriate in that kind of moment, and a sober kind of. A pun, but a sober reflection of how difficult this problem was and how you didn't really have control, but you were going to do your best. It's really good. I got a question for you, Jess. Was this, a, was this a hard episode to write for you guys? Particularly hard? Are you asking me? Yes, you and, you and Steve. I mean, you're doing it's this. A hard, it, I must say, Chuck, um, it was hard to write and it was even harder to watch. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I'm glad to say that we did have uh, Mackenzie Phillips. What's her name? Phillips. Mackenzie yeah. Phillips. Yeah. Mackenzie yeah. Phillips was a real life alcoholism and drug addiction uh, counselor. So we were able to uh, use her skills as as well as her acting. But she had come up through the through the rooms, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent time in the rooms since, and um, 
I think we did a very good job of with this episode. Yeah. Um, and um, it was hard. It was hard to. It was hard to. Uh, it was hard to write and hard to film. Did a good job, Dan. Well, it had the feeling of authenticity. And uh, as I recall, Mackenzie was her first job since she got out of rehab, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, the one thing to remember is that. You know, when they, the hardest thing the directors used to tell us on 90210 was to do the group scenes in the peach pit. They had to shoot it in this because they're there and they're sitting in this. But this one, you had a whole group, and yet, you know, in a in a more dramatic environment. There, there wasn't, was there, remember, was this one of them too that everybody, nobody was trying to crack each other up? Was it a. Oh, no, no. You know what was I remember from that is. Uh, Everybody was aware. It was a very important episode to Luke because he was really getting to play something with meat on the bone. And everybody was loved Luke and really wanted to be supportive of him. So it was absolutely, as I recall, only support and, and uh, you know, trying to create the, the right environment for him. And Jess, I just want to tell you, I thought the writing was superb because in watching it, I was it had a very real and edgy moment to moment just volatility like is he going to stay is he going to go and luke did a great job of really playing that line and he was he couldn't be couldn't be an easy mark he, he was he had to be a really tough one and i just really admired it like when he almost got out the door and then i and steve sanders says you know you, you can go who cares i, I don't give it you know and it's like, what was that line? Because I don't remember that line being written that uh, Steve says, uh, why don't you go back to the bottle the, that you crawled out of or something like that. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I might have improvised that line. I don't know. What impressed me so much, because it's always what I'm looking for and hoping for, is just the feeling of things that kind of happen in a surprising way. And I didn't know how they were going to stop him from leaving. I had forgotten without it being some false beat. And it was just beautiful because he was almost out the door. And then he thought, wait a minute, this guy I cared about is still angry at me. He didn't, he didn't want anybody to really be angry at him. Mm. In any way. And it's like that kind of, it was just woven very, very excitedly. Hey, Dan, I played that clip of Luke talking about his, uh, you know, version of how that played out and with the camera behind him and all that stuff. Do you remember your version of that? What was that like to do? Well, I just remember, I mean, I know how I work. I don't remember specifically. I was glad Jess reminded me that I was wondering, I was thinking, well, that was kind of artful how I never see anybody taking drugs. We, took, we did cocaine in the mirror. We went down and tilted up. And by the time we got to the mirror, he had already done the second nostril. And I was thinking, hmm, why didn't I get back to see him actually do it? Well, it's interesting, you know. And they reminded me how it's, uh, it, you know, it was a great choice. I mean, I actually prefer it. Uh, but, you know, I'm just trying to create as visceral an experience as possible. So, I, you know, I've done that many times. It's like wanting to have a handheld camera, you know, the driver's point of view, the shaky quality of it all. I was aware that it was not a, not an easy stunt. I mean, it's not, I don't recall the stunt, but I was thinking, wow, to have somebody free driving and actually, you know, uh, I, I don't imagine we had a stunt double doing that, that through the windshield that kind of went up onto the dirt thing and turned around and, uh, yeah. The prop people did a fabulous job with the drugs, by the way. Uh, I, 
sad to say I know too well. Um, uh, but um, that was, I was unfortunately very realistic. Well, I think that was a gift because I think it's, it's, it's makes it meaningful and I'm glad it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm moved by how it's touching you and I hope it touched others too, because you want to be, have your story told, you want to be seen, you know, and you want to have some compassion in the time, which I think is so beautiful. Oh, I think, I think it did, uh, did a very good job of not sugarcoating the, the path of addiction. And you know they got him in, but they didn't keep him there. And and his, he hadn't hit bottom yet, and he literally is hitting bottom when he drives the car off a cliff. Yeah. Um, but you know that that journey is going to continue. Yeah. Hey, Lily, what fan questions do you have for this? Uh, not for intervention. None. Okay. Um, I wanted to say that we will cover the triangle. Oh, Somebody asked about the triangle. We're going to do a triangle episode, so that's why we're not really talking about it here. But anyway, uh, yeah. Carol. We need a lot of time to talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just, you know, I do remember doing the intervention scene, and I think yeah. it's partly because we were all together, yeah. and it, it was really fun to work with everybody in the room, and we were all focused. And I mean, you know, Danny's right. We were, we all cared about the scene. I think everybody knew how important this issue was, and we felt good about talking about it in this on this platform. And so, you know, when you're in a scene like it takes a long time for all of those shots and everything. So we really, even you know, we weren't joking around, but we were hanging out together. And you know, as a parent, that was kind of rare. Um, there aren't that many. Um, big scenes where everybody's either over at the Walsh house and the parents are there or there's a wedding or there's some other big event that everybody's at. And so those, I really enjoyed those, um, those opportunities a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, guys, this has been great to talk about all this stuff. I want to mention one other thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go here because this is a, a, a a campaign we have to get on the uh, Kathleen Robertson on the show, uh, but I think she's absolutely phenomenal in this episode. There's that whole bit about her with her and David with the tape, and then uh, Doctor Martin sees the tape, but he, you know, like says you owe me one or whatever. I mean, some really great stuff. I'm going to run a promo because we want Kathleen Robertson to see this. So here we go. Hey, Kathleen Robertson. Guess who? Yeah, you. I'm out of here. Claire Arnold's. We want you to come on to the Beverly Hills 90210 show. I'd rather jump overboard. You're smart. Your eye rolls are epic. And your acting is incredible. Thanks. We want to dive deep with you on all things Claire Arnold. The hosts want you on. My, like, TV crush is Claire Arnold. I don't know. The writers want you on. And she was, it was registering on all cylinders. Your co-stars want you on. Kathleen was great, man. Kathleen's awesome. She's a Canadian. The fans do too. Kathleen, will you please go on Beverly Hills podcast? Besides, I'm a Canadian. You're a Canadian. Have you asked her? So we're asking. Have your people chat with our people. Fans, don't give up. Absolutely not. So there we go. I love that. One thing that we should mention, there's also the great scene which Dan did, that whole Ray, the Ray Pruitt having dinner 
at the, yes. at the Martin house is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. it, it is so classic Catherine Cannon. We've got to see it, but we also got to see Ray's house in Rosita. It was just really uh, very poignant. You know, Carol McWilliams, who's, who's passed away, plays Ray's mother, Luann. And it's just uh, really a good background for Ray. It really, it was, it was a good, uh, it, was, it was good. It was slumming. Yeah, it's I, really I, nice, I, too. And, you know, I'm I sorry, love, No, just, I was just saying, I was really, I really enjoyed looking at that, that stuff. Again, I really appreciated Ray's performance. He had a lot of dignity. I really yeah. loved it. Great. Also, like Tori and uh, Ray on the back of the pickup truck, mm. and just that like sweet conversation that they have, and you know she's really opening up and whatnot. I mean, just I mean, beautiful stuff that you did. And the pickup truck is like this beautiful, like uh, scenic sort of thing. I guess a beautiful like location, right? <laughs> and also, a nice a nice pointer to the difference in the social class. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys, I think we we covered these episodes uh, pretty good. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for being here. I mean, the work is so incredible. Um, and I, I always try to say a little bit of gratitude to everybody, uh, you know, that comes on the show. There's a boatload of 90210 fans here that are still plugged in to this very second you know, that are just so appreciative to everything that you did. You brought our character, our favorite characters to life. Uh, so, and it's all these years later and we still watch it. We still love it. Um, and I know your work goes beyond Beverly Hills 90210. You always bring something very special to uh, what you do. Right. So uh, thank you for popping on here. Yeah. And thank you for the panel. It was great having everybody here. We'll be back with two, two episodes next week. Right, Larry? We've got... Uh, Gabrielle on Wednesday, and then we've got uh, the essential Susan Key on Friday. So uh, you'll see that promo coming. It's uh, Emma Caulfield. Emma Caulfield will be with us on Friday. So, uh, all right, guys, thanks so much for doing this, and we will see you next time. Bye, bye, sweetheart. Bye, bye. 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 bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.